Well, welcome to the second episode of the Big J and Little J show. So it'll be our number five on the record, but number two as Big J and Little J with the official title. You threw me off there for a second. I, I didn't know where we were going with episode two. I was like, we've done this more than twice. Yeah. But, yeah. We're getting the rhythm going now. But yeah, it's the second episode of Big J, Little J, but number five on the record. But... Uh, with it being the off season for Duke and Wake, there's really a kind of a dead period of things going on. Wake has been busy. Duke has not. We'll touch base on that. But what has been going on has been the NBA. And tonight, as we are recording, will be the NBA lottery. Now it's a, a nice day as a Hornets fan because a couple of years ago, they got LaMelo Ball. They became number two overall and got LaMelo Ball, and it looked like they were going to be around the 10th but before that as a Hornets fan let me tell you the lottery is not our was not our friend because when the Hornets won six games or whatever it was in the lockout year uh the worst team in NBA history and shattered all the records and would have shattered even more if we didn't have if we didn't miss 20 games because of the lockout Hornets supposed to be the number one overall pick because they had the worst record. But with a lottery system, there was a chance they wouldn't be. And the New Orleans Pelicans got the number one. And you know who the New Orleans Pelicans got then? I guess maybe the New Orleans Hornets because of the Charlotte Bobcats. Anthony Davis. You know who the Charlotte Bobcats drafted? Michael Kidd Gilchrist. And that is how you become a poverty franchise for the rest of the Bobcats' existence until the very end. So do you buy into the uh, the lottery conspiracy theories that it's rigged? Uh, for this one, I 100% do because <laughs> I think back then the NBA owned the Pelicans. The Pelicans didn't have an owner. like, And so I 100% believe that because I will never not believe that because I'm still salty to this day that the Hornet, the Bobcats, Hornets, whatever you want to call them back then, had a cornerstone right there, number one. And sure enough, too good to be true. And we get Michael Kidd Gilchrist, whose elbow dislocated every time he shot a basketball. But he could play defense. That was their selling point on draft night was, hey, he can play defense. And then I just remember him guarding Carmelo in Madison Square Garden, 61. Guarding LeBron James when he played with the Heat, who we never beat in his time with the Heat, 53, 57. 61. <laughs> it was just, it became comical. But now with the lottery coming tonight, the reason we're going to touch base on it is the latest mock draft projections for our guys. We'll start with the most popular one, and that's Paula Bancaro. He dropped a slot to number three to Detroit. Now I'm getting this source from nbadraft.net. So if anybody's wondering, they can look it up. Bancaro to three because now. It's Jabari Smith, one, and Jay Nivey, two. And I think that Jay Nivey just uh, is getting that John Morant comparison to where his projection is skyrocketing. Yeah, we were talking before coming on. I, I hate the, the comparisons, especially to com comparisons to guys that are only, like, three years older than than the player they're, they're being compared to. Like, every player is unique. I mean, yeah. I know that I know I get why the draft pundits like draw lines to to help illustrate like, okay, this is 
this is kind of the mold that this guy is coming in. But and like, and especially when when you get to the point where you're like, oh, this guy's John Morant. Okay, well, we don't even know what John Morant is. Like, we have a we have a semi firm idea, but guy's been in the NBA what three years? I mean, yep. well, even even that, I know you said a three year difference, but I just hate that every player that's going into a draft or commits to a major program as a five star, their comparison is automatically an NBA All Star. Like yeah. Chet Holmgren was supposed to be Kevin Durant. Like, that was a comparison when he was a five-star committed to Gonzaga, Kevin Durant, so white KD. And you don't hear that now at the NBA draft. Like, it's mute. It's almost like it never happened. But I remember seeing that. And then uh, who was the uh, the guy that went to Memphis? Uh, Emily Bates. Yeah. And he also, KD. And it's like, well, his measurements aren't KD's. Like, KD's about two inches taller, and his wingspan's about four inches longer. And the point being, you just can't compare – you can't compare apples to apples. It's always going to be apples to oranges. It's a completely different game, completely different mindset, completely different person. Yeah. But with that being said, Vancouver's number three to Detroit, which like, I hope not because <laughs> Detroit just terrible – uh, Kate Cunningham, that like maybe. That franchise might get turned in the right direction here at some point. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, I just the whole thought of just Detroit. I mean, you look at Canard Canard is at Detroit and then yeah, rejuvenated in LA with the Clippers. I think it's just his he was just happier, <laughs> like just loved to live in LA compared to Detroit. But with that being said, number nine, A.J. Griffin to the Pelicans, the Bayou Blue Devils, if A.J. Griffin goes there because we have Trajan Langdon as a GM or assistant GM, and then you have Ingram, Frank Jackson, I think is still – maybe Frank Jackson's not there anymore, but there was a point it was Ingram, Frank Jackson, Zion, and then Reddick, obviously, before he retired. But I thought that was pretty interesting that he was sitting there number nine. The powers of Google here. Frank Jackson did play for the Pelicans this season. He did he play for the Pelicans? Yeah, he averaged 10 points a game. Okay, I was right. That for a second, he must have played for the Pistons before that because I was flipping him. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Yeah, I'm I read it wrong. He was with the, he's been with the Pistons the last two years. Okay. So yeah, I'll call myself. But there was a point in time, I guess we can call make a news segment, where are they now, Frank Jackson? Because <laughs> I knew it was either Detroit or the Pelicans. And But, yeah, A.J. Griffin, number nine, that's probably about in his wheelhouse. I think right there around 10 is inaccurate. Yeah, he's – to me, A.J. as a prospect, he has such a high ceiling because um, when he's right, I mean, it feels like everything he puts at the rim is going to go in. Um I go back to to how many soft rolls he got, like on drives and on mid-range shots, where he'd clank one off the rim and it'd wind up falling because he has such a soft touch. Um, but man, you you also it's it's tough to separate the most recent time you saw him. And I mean, he got manhandled in the final four game. There's no other way to say it. And it wasn't it wasn't even just when Leaky was on him. Like he got taken out of the game uh, when Puff was on him. So he had bad misses. Like they were yeah. not close misses at all. He could not throw the ball in the ocean. And could have been depth perception because 
I mean, that place is just, it's not even a basketball arena at that point. There could be a lot of reasons, but yeah, that's not exactly how you want to end your college career as you shot around like 47%, it seemed like from three all year. And then against UNC just was nowhere close. It's going to be, I mean, the, the one side of it is you have to, you have to figure out if he's going to be able to play against physical defense. The other side is you have to, you have to feel good about his medicals to, to spend a top 10 pick on that guy. Like, you know, he got through the, you know, last two thirds of Duke's schedule, but that's only what 28 games. Yeah. You know, is, is he going to be, be able to play 82? Yeah. Uh, Back to backs. Yeah, and, and and yeah, playing back to backs, playing uh, you know three games in five days, that kind of stuff. You might do that once in college. You might you might do that like twice a twice a month um, in the NBA. So yeah, there's there's some questions to solve there if you're going to spend a lottery pick on AJ, which which you know I think somebody will. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, he has a high floor or high ceiling. He also has a low floor because it could also be a disaster in terms of just a bad shooting night. Because if yeah. the shot's not going, you can just tell he gets stagnant in the offense. Like he loses confidence where he doesn't want to really go off the dribble to find that rhythm. It's kind of like standing in the corner. But when he's hot, I mean, he can go on a 10 0 run by himself. We saw that in the Dean Dome. Yep. So moving number 17 in the projection is Mark Williams. Mark Williams projected to go to the Houston Rockets, which would be a nice little fit for Mark, but you also saw him in another draft projection somewhere else. Yeah, I think it was uh, a bleacher report thing. Uh, I'm not positive on that, but you know, I think the Hornets have the 13 and 15 picks, or they're projected to be picking 13th. I guess the lottery can can change that. And I think the 15th one is locked in, right? Like, yeah, the lottery is top 14. Um, Charlotte needs a center. Like I, you know, I don't watch nearly as much Hornets as you do, but I know uh, a couple people I follow on Twitter that cover them harped for the last like ten months that they had no center. They needed a center, and they never addressed the center position in free agency. And you know, now that it looks like DeAndre Ayton is going to hit some form of free agency, like they're they're salivating at the chance to throw a ton of money at him, um, pair him with, with LaMelo. So Mark Williams makes a lot of sense for a fit with Charlotte. Um, I don't think you're looking for Mark Williams to come in and average 20 points a game right away. I think you're just looking for somebody that's going to be a rim protector and he's a rim protector like that. You know, you stick him in a pick and roll and he can finish some alley-oops and he's going to guard guard your basket on the defensive end. Really, that's all you want, right? Like, if, if you're the Hornets, that's that's what you need. You don't need uh, that Anthony Davis type that's going to be able to get you 40 points on some nights. Like, you just need somebody to be tall in the middle. Yeah, I mean, the Hornets, <laughs> I don't know if they want another uh, Duke center because Mason Plumey was the center this year and the backup to the backup was Vernon Carey. So, <laughs> There's already two Duke players, so if the Hornets fans who are probably predominantly UNC fans uh, see Mark Williams at the bottom line of ESPN being drafted, there's going to be an uproar in Chapel Hill. But I'd understand it because, like you said, this season uh, the center position was tough. And 
the last several years, ever since Al Jefferson, the Hornets never really had an offensive center. It's just been – I mean, we had Bismack Biombo, and then you want to talk about a hilarious story. They had Bismack, and they finally let him walk when we were the Bobcats. And he goes to the Raptors and is just an energizer bunny off the bench in the playoffs on the run, then becomes a free agent. And the Hornets are like, we need him back. And then they signed him like a four-year, $60 million deal. And he turned into the old Bismack with the Hornet with the Bobcats. So since Al Jefferson, I can't remember the last like scoring first center the Hornets had. And same time frame with another Duke center, Josh McRoberts. McBob had a he had a hell of a he was actually an X Factor for that Hornets team. Hornets team. It's gonna drive me crazy. The Bobcats team, when they made that playoff run, and I say playoff run because they actually won a playoff game, if not two. I think they forced game six or seven against the Heat. But Mick Bob with long hair, he was special. So who knows? Maybe Duke and the Hornets will have another reunion uh, with a post player, and maybe this one will develop just a little bit better. Number uh, 37, and we'll touch base on him later in the show, is Trevor Keels to the Sacramento Kings. I, uh, You know what? We'll just go right into it. It's a big week for Trevor. Like this yeah. is this is a big week for everybody. Like the draft combine is going on right now in Chicago. Um, you know, it's it's not like you can vault your way up into the lottery. I would say for Trevor, but he can certainly solidify his position as a first round pick with a solid week in Chicago. And you know, it works the other way. Like if if he doesn't show that he can compete on that level. Um, you know, if he's maybe a little too slow, um, if he's not as good of a defender as they need him to be, then that could wind up pushing him back to Durham for his sophomore year. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, like, you just have to, you, you have to go into every conversation with, you know, whether it's NBA personnel or whether it's, um, whoever is as at the draft combine there's so much misinformation out there about prospects and teams throw out false rumors so much to get other teams off the scent and you know it it's in the nfl it's in the nba it's it's probably to a lesser extent in baseball and and hockey um you just you have so much false information out there and and that's where you know, sometimes when a guy falls on draft night, like that's why you have uh, during the during the NFL draft, it was um, it was a linebacker from Georgia, and the Kobe Dean is is falling, and then it comes out like, well, he has medical issues that teams were scared off by. This isn't a surprise to the rest of the league. It's just a surprise to the media that all had him at like in the twenties for yeah, for yeah. player rankings. So it's just it's a it's a long way of saying um, be be careful what you hear. Don't yeah. put your stock in any. Don't put a hundred percent of your stock in anything. And uh, you know, two weeks from recording this is the deadline. So in the next two weeks, we'll know for sure whether Trevor is is coming back to Duke or staying in the NBA draft. Yeah, and I think 37 is a fair assessment for him right now because he's got to prove something. Like, I would say 
at the end of the se- last half of the season, take out the Elite Eight and Final Four games, he just was in a slump. Like he wasn't the same kills. He hit his legs were gone. He hit that freshman wall that Bancaro admitted that he hit. Uh, Bancaro just had a turnaround sooner than kills, but kills came up huge in the Elite Eight and Final Four for Duke, and was the reason why Duke was in it in the Final Four. And uh, I think if he does have a big week, I think 37 could quickly become 27. And you're talking about a couple million dollars difference uh, yearly. So if he struggles or not even struggles, if he just maintains where they're projecting that, then I think he comes back to Duke. And that's not a bad thing. Like we've harped on in the podcast previously, like he comes back for a sophomore year, that, that 37, there's no reason why he shouldn't be top 21 next year after one more year underneath his belt. So it'll be an interesting week for sure. And next two weeks, like you said, from recording will be very interesting. And to round off the Duke guys, uh, Wendell Moore is right behind him at number 38 for the Spurs. He's also a guy that needs to have a pretty good week uh, when it comes to NBA draft combine. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised Wendell is, is down there uh, lower than Trevor. I know it's only one spot. Um, I just I, I think there's a lot of intangibles that come with Wendell. Uh, a lot of basketball, high basketball IQ and, and a lot of the little things that he does well that kind of go overlooked unless they get into the and, – and they won't be overlooked when they get into the scrimmages in the combine and, and kind of see the, the five-on-five full-court stuff. Um, I think he's a first-round pick. I mean, I, and I think if he gets to the second round, I think it won't be long before somebody signs him and he'll get – you know, the same kind of contract that a first rounder would get with, you know, four year deal and the first two guaranteed. Um, you know, that's, that's the main difference. Like uh, 10 of the 30 second round picks last year got the first two years of their contract guaranteed. Um, if you're a first round pick, all 30 first round picks get the first two years guaranteed. So that's yeah. where the difference comes in, and that's that's where you weigh your options uh, if you're going to stay or come come into the draft. And he he does have if he becomes a second round pick where he's projected number thirty eight is to the San Antonio Spurs, and the Spurs obviously have a great background in drafting second round picks, and one of the most recent ones is uh, Trey Jones, second round selection for them, and he became a rotation guy this year in year two for I think it's year two for him the COVID year always throws me off like that I just count that as a gap year for the whole world so but this rotation sorry this past year with the Spurs Trey became a rotation guy I know he's a two-way guy uh at first like between the G League and Spurs but now he solidified a roster spot and so Fwindell's at 38 he's in good hands but then it gets a slippery slope because if he is 37 to the Kings, I mean, they've been a dumpster fire since 2004. So, like, that's another thing kills. If you're projecting to go to the Kings, you better hurry your ass back to Durham because they would rather just be in Durham than Sacramento because there's just no telling what's going to go down there. Yeah, some some franchises are just built to be losers. Yeah. They're just going to be losers until they have changes in ownership and, and uh, management. Yep, and that's what it feels like. I'm talking about the Kings. Yeah, yeah, 
I mean, you could be talking about the Washington Commanders too. <laughs> yeah, my fan, my my fandom of that franchise is on hold until Dan Snyder is no longer their owner. Jacob basically feels the same way. Uh, so one guy that I'm going to discuss too is Brady Manick because he's projected 53rd to the Boston Celtics and he. He's been known as Baby Bird, and I think that surprised that surprised you when I told you that offline. Off there. Yeah, uh, it's kind of upsetting just because I already, you know, I already gave my little spiel on player comparisons. I just, I get it if he's got the the facial hair and the long hair. Uh, he he definitely looked like Larry Bird when he was in Oklahoma, like. This one now, like how he's growing the beard and stuff, it's not the same, but he was known as Baby Bird because he had the stash and the long hair in Oklahoma. And, I mean, it would be perfect if he went to the Celtics just for the T-shirts and just the merchandise sales of Baby Bird is back in Boston. And, I mean, I'm pulling for him. I like his game. I mean, I love a stretch four that can shoot the piss out of it, and that's what Manic proved that he can do. Thank God he's gone. And to round out the uh, draft selections is your boy from Wake, Jake Laravia. Yes, that's that correct. Yeah, yeah. Jake Laravia is number fifty-six to the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, that's a little, uh, you know, based on some other mocks, that's shockingly low. Uh, I've seen some rankings where he's in the low twenties. Um, oh, Jesus, Christ. yeah, <laughs> that's a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, you know, people get into the video and, and realize that this is a six eight guy who can move his feet, uh, can pick and pop. He's got to be able to shoot better. Like, he's got to shoot a higher percentage. Um, but part of why he didn't shoot a high percentage at Wake Forest is because he was not as assertive as he should have been. He should have taken more shots and made more shots. Um, I might be sticking my foot in my mouth here. He did shoot a high percentage at Wake. Um, he needed to shoot more was, was more the, the issue with, you know, I say the issue, he was a, he was a second team all ACC player. Yeah. He shot, he shot 38% on threes, uh, 61% on twos. Jesus. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he always like, you know, Alondis Williams, I was kind of surprised he's not in the top 60 on this, uh, you say draftexpress.net. Yep. Um, you know, Alondis was was the headline getter because you know he's ACC Player of the Year. That's the way it worked. He led the league in scoring and assists for the majority of the season. And didn't wind up that way at the end. Um, I always thought Jake was the better uh, NBA prospect than Alondis, just because of the six eight nature of things. Uh, Jake can handle the ball a little bit. Um, Jake has some NBA moves to his game. Like, he'll back you down and shoot a 15-foot turnaround jumper, a little splash. And, you know, it, it's he's 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 a complete package, I guess is the best way to put it, for what NBA teams look for in a three. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised he's all the way down there in the 50s. Like, I thought his floor would be in somewhere in the 40s and uh, probably low 40s, just to take that variation. But, but yeah, I, 
it, it's surprising. Um, and he's another one. He's right there in that camp with Keels where if he comes back, uh, Wake will be looking at a pretty complete roster for next season. Um, if he doesn't, then it'll leave a bit of a gap to fill. Uh, I think that goes for both of them. To go back on Alondis real quick, it is shocking to me because he was player of the year and he averaged 19 a game in the ACC. And so I think the only red flag for Alondis is his shooting ability. I know he struggled from three. He shot, I'm seeing he shot 28% and then 69% from the line. But offseason, you got a full offseason to show that you can, you fix that jumper. And I know it's also a red flag that 28% and the three point line moves back. So now you're learning to shoot at a farther shot. But I don't care what Tatum's numbers were at Duke because I just remember watching him at Duke and thinking that he was not a prolific three-point shooter. Like, the way the, – the hitch in his shot, I was like, that's never going to translate to the pros. And I'm not saying Alonis Williams is Jason Tatum because Jason Tatum was lottery pick. But uh, what I'm saying is just because it looked funky or didn't – wasn't successful in college doesn't mean necessarily it's not going to transfer over to the pros. He's not going to be Ben Simmons. And not yeah, I mean, they, there are so many examples of guys that get into the NBA without jumpers, and after two or three years, they're knockdown shooters. I mean, uh, Lance Thomas has a career like 38% three-point percentage. First off, he had an NBA career, first and foremost. Let's, let's say that again. Lance Thomas of Duke men's basketball had a long NBA career, and – shot 38% from three-point line. He shot 0% at Duke because I think he only shot two in four years as a role player. So if Lance Thomas can do it, then Alondis Williams, who is ACC Player of the Year, can do it. I go to LeBron. LeBron wasn't thought of as a shooter. And, you know. You get with the right trainers and the right guys uh, when you're not in the – like with the team – you do it on your own time, then anything's possible. And guy that averages yeah. 19 a game with a poor shooting stroke, I mean, it's a flyer you want to take because he's only going to get better. Honestly, Alondis and Paolo had pretty similar, uh, I think, shot form. Like, they both shot line drives. Like, yeah. And so when they're confident, when it's when it's going good, it'll look pretty. It'll It'll look nice. But – they hit a lot of shots off the front of the iron that aren't even giving the ball a chance to go in. Um, yeah, Paul had some air balls in there. Yeah, and, and and you can you can iron that out in a summer or two. You're right. I mean, it's. I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm sure it's not easy, but it's you know among among things like if if you're entering the NBA and you have holes in your game, having having that hole that particular hole of of uh, three-point shooting or shooting in general is not the worst thing in the world. Since the last time we recorded, there's been some uh, acquisitions in the Wake Forest side of things. Yeah, the, the transfer portal has been hopping. Um, so Wake first added Tyree Appleby. Um, there, he was their third transfer portal acquisition, joining Jawatuka from Marist and Andrew Carr from Delaware, who I think I've talked about already. They all start to blend together at some point. Um, Tyree Appleby is a uh, 
bit of a smaller guard, uh, listed at 6'1", like 170 for Florida last year. Um, he is a valuable addition. Like he scored 1,500 points in college between two years at Cleveland State. I think it was Cleveland State. Um, he, yeah, Cleveland State. He, uh, then he sat out a year at Florida back when you had to sit out um, after transferring. And then he played two seasons at, at Florida the last two seasons. So he has an extra year of eligibility because one of his seasons at Florida was the COVID season that doesn't count. Um, he's a, he's a three point shooter. Um, he made 65 threes last season uh, out of 190. So he shot 34%, which is, right around where you want to be. I mean, you know, if, if a guy's taking 193s, he's probably not shooting 45 or 50% unless he's Baylor Shireman. Um, so that's a good number. Uh, he is probably going to be a combo guard, able to run the point, but also play off the ball uh, a little bit like Davian Williamson, who it's we'll we'll mention here that Dave Wake is still waiting on Davian also just like Loravia is in the draft process but maintaining eligibility and could return uh next season so that's Tyree Appleby they picked up a center a couple days after Tyree Appleby uh Davion Bradford from Kansas State he is 71260 I believe or maybe just seven foot yeah he's he's a big one um, he was a rivals 150 player coming out of high school, uh, from the St. Louis area. He had a decent freshman season for, for K state, um, averaged like seven points, four rebounds around there. Um, Kansas state's last game was in the big 12 tournament. He had, I think like 17 and nine against, uh, Baylor, which, you know, he went on to win the national championship that year. And then it just didn't come together for him this past season. Like he, I've read where he, he caught pneumonia um, going into the season in relation to COVID. Uh, it got him out of shape and he was just, he was never able to get up to the level that he needed to be. Um, I mean, at that size too, like you have one of those hiccups where you're out of conditioning for that long at seven foot two sixty, I mean, you're just never going to get it back. Unfortunately, I mean, that's just how it is. I played with a guy, not seven feet, but somebody that was a big dude that relied on everyday conditioning to stay in shape. Yeah. Yeah. So he never got to the level that he, that he could contribute much this year. His minutes dropped, I think from like 25 to 18 a game. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a little bit of a gamble for, for wake. Um, but you're also, you're, you're not taking him unless you feel good about, okay, this was, this was a one-year blip. He got sick. Um, we're going to get him in our strength and conditioning program and he's going to be able to stay on the court for us. Um, they needed a center too. Uh, they only have one on the roster. Basically Matthew Marsh is a um, sophomore from England um, who's got a lot of potential and promise in the middle, but it's not like he was going to play 40 minutes a game. So, so they'll probably split the center position pretty equally. And then, uh, 
just this past weekend, they picked up uh, another freshman. So their freshman class will not be one player, as it looked like it might be. Um, they added Bobby Klintman, who is from Sweden. Uh, he is a 6'9", 223-pound wing. Uh, he played this past season at Sunrise Christian Academy in Kansas. And was that's that's kind of a a sprout up powerhouse. Uh, they just kind of I think they're newish school. I might be mistaken there, but uh, they've attracted a lot of the top talent in the Midwest. Um, Mark Mitchell was there with Bobby. Grady Dick was there with Bobby. Both of those guys were McDonald's All Americans. Uh, they have a four star. Um, Cameron Cam Corin, who's going to Florida State. So the big thing with Bobby is he's a little raw. I got I don't I wouldn't harbor any illusions if you're a Wake fan that he's going to come in and immediately contribute and play 25 to 30 minutes a game. But where you're where you're basing your optimism is that he spent an entire season practicing against Mark Mitchell. And Mark Mitchell kind of took him under his wing. Like they, they became buddies. Um, you know, that's a five-star Duke commit that is a McDonald's All-American. You get better by playing against those guys. And Bobby was, was really, I, I had the, the pleasure of talking to him. He's a nice young man. And he was realistic about like, yeah, I needed to come to America. Uh, I knew I wanted to play college ball. And the level of high school basketball here, is better than it was in Sweden. So he wanted to challenge himself. That meant taking a lesser role with a, with a program that had better players than him. And he practiced against those guys every day in practice and they made it, they made him better. So there's an upside there that I think is a little overlooked. If you just pay attention to the recruiting ranking and just, you see that, you know, he's a, he's, if you pay attention to his high school stats, I think you're doing him a bit of a disservice. Uh, Again, I'm not saying he's going to come in and start from day one. I'm not saying he's going to come in and be a, you know, an Isaiah Mustius or Jake Laravia replacement, but he's going to come in and and I think, I think there's a lot of room for growth, and I think it could happen pretty quickly under under Wake's staff. So every time somebody always talks about like pop up schools that are term powerhouses, I think of Rodney Purvis going to upper room. Christian Academy, you know, it was literally like the second floor of a building. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, it wasn't even a real thing. It was just the upper room Christian Academy. And they even sell it with the Christian Academy thinking that it's really going to sell like it's Crowington Christian Academy. Rodney Purvis, upper room. <laughs> That'll never get old. And so to finally close us off, we have our segment of the top five. And this week, it's top five sports movies. I'm going to give it to you again. I'll let you go five, four, three, two, one. Top five right. sports movies. I'm throwing my two honorable mentions in here. Uh, a little bit different. I went Cool Runnings and Caddyshack. Half cat like Caddyshack is. If we did top five comedies, Caddyshack would be in my top five and probably would be pretty close to number one, if not number one. I don't feel like it has enough sports to be considered a sports movie, but 
I felt like it, it was in some gray area for me when I was doing this, where it was like, yeah, they play golf. Like yeah. the, the, the plot, the main plot of the movie is, is about a golf course and, and about golf. So, and then cool Runnings is just a fantastic movie. And, you know, John Candy is, is wonderful, was wonderful. And uh, I don't know how that can't melt your heart when you watch that movie, but moving on. Um, Number five, I've got The Fighter. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and, and Christian Bale in a movie with Amy Adams. It's a it's a wonderful movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the Boston accents really land home. Uh, number four, I've got A League of Their Own. That's um, good. It's really good. Yeah. I've got strong, strong baseball movies here. Uh, I think three of my top four are baseball. Um, if that gives you a hint on where the list is is headed from here, but only of their own man. Uh, that movie's got everything. Uh, comedy. It, it's it's got some a little bit of romance. Uh, a lot of sports. Um, and and the historical aspect of it, I I love that. I'm a history minor, and I have to. I feel like I have to convey that every time history is brought up. Uh, number three is Bull Durham, and it, it's a little painful for me to have Bull Durham only at three. Uh, it had to be beaten out by two really good movies, and I think that it was. But and that's just a classic, like just just a fantastic movie again. Um, and we were talking off, off before we come on about how quotable some movies are. I mean, <laughs> I I still I I use the quote, uh, you know, well, candlesticks make make a nice gift. All right, let's get to. <laughs> That is an all-time meeting at the mound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're dealing with a lot of shit here. Yeah. Uh, number two, I've got Sea Biscuit. My only non-baseball of my top four. Uh, horse racing is a hundred percent a sport. So, I love Sea Biscuit. It's one of those movies that every time it's on TV, I will turn it on, no matter where it is in the movie. Uh, no matter what else is going on, it'll be on my TV. If I have to mute it, I will. But again, it's it's kind of the historical aspect of it. Uh, I read the book, so I know how closely the movie followed the source material of the book by Laura Hildebrand, I think is the name. Um, just a, an all-star cast and a, and a great movie and a great story. Um, who doesn't love an underdog in sports movies? So, and that, that's kind of the ultimate underdog of horse racing. And then number one, we might wind up with the same number one here. Uh, <laughs> Major League, uh, you know, let me call you back, Charlie. I got another guy on the line about some white walls. <laughs> and then, oh my God, uh, when, uh, what was Bob Euchre's name in that? Tim Doyle. Doyle, what was the name? Harry Doyle. Harry Doyle. One run on one hit. We have one hit. We have one hit. You can't say God on air. Nobody's listening to anyway. anyways. <laughs> that's like my, that's by far my favorite line, but yeah. I love the, I, I mean, just the, the whole, uh, everything about that movie, man. It's, Every, you know, it's from, perfect. I mean, it. Uh, we'll go ahead and say it, uh, but for it to be such a funny comedy, but then to hit like the peak sports moment, like the drag bunt 
like, first off, analytically, it makes sense. Like, you have your speed runner trying to steal third on a hit and run. It's a drag bunt by a slow catcher. Third baseman's playing deep. Willie Mays Hayes can fly. So it all makes sense. And then the the third baseman makes a real great play, bare hand throw. And then the first baseman makes a realistic turn of the uh, first base umpire. Like, he's shocked almost. Like, he was safe, not expecting him to continue around third. And the slide, the music, just I'm getting chills just talking about it. Like, that is just – for it to be as funny as it was, it just was the peak of, like, a end of a sports movie ending ever. Like, it yeah. really was. It was a, it's the best movie. I have to go with uh, <laughs> uh, Rookie of the Year as a as a uh, honorable mention because the pitching coach is just the funniest dude. <laughs> Um, All right, I'll give it to you, the pitching coach. I, uh... Oh, it's a – I mean, yeah, I think, too, I watched it growing up. Like, that and Little Big League were just like, I love those movies. And, but the pitching coach who plays uh, Marv and Home Alone, just yeah, hilarious. But so number five is a tie with Little Giants and The Sandlot. Okay. So I feel like they could be a tie because they're very similar – movies for a very similar audience and i was lucky enough to grow up when they came out when right after they came out just great movies still sandlot i give edge to sandlot on that one like i i kind of regret not including sandlot on mine i just i i don't know i just liked the little jump i i agree with you sandlot i give maybe an edge but for a top five, I feel like they're on the same tier, on the same level. Yeah, I, I buy that. Number four, Summer Catch. Summer Catch. Excellent movie. Such a good movie. Brady, so Brady. underrated. Yeah, it really is. I mean, great, a really good cast. I mean, really good cast. I mean, rest in peace, Fred Ward. He passed away this week, actually, yeah. this past weekend. And, I mean, he was great in it, played the perfect dad. Like, it was just – that made me want to, like, go to Cape Cod and, like – go watch a baseball game like it was just awesome yeah that's kind of the uh, like that's the education like i've written stories about uh wake baseball players that have gone to the cape and like that's that's my basis of knowledge of like hey that's where the best college players go to play is cape cod and it's all because of a freaking rom-com of a of a baseball movie number three field of dreams so number three is Field of Dreams. Uh, I mean, it's a classic. Like, I know a lot of people probably would have that in their top five. Uh, but Kevin Costner just is the GOAT for sports movies. I mean, he is. I mean, if he's attached to a sports movie, it's going to at least be decent. You'll watch it at least another time. Number two is Bull Durham. So I thought there for a second we were going to have <laughs> one and two together. Bull Durham, like you said. Great movie. Uh, I'll plug in the line if I can find it, but with him talking to uh, the pitcher about his sandals with fungus on them and said that he looks like a – something along the lines, he looks like a slob, but you win like 20 games in the show, then it becomes fashion. is yeah. so true. Like the narrative and media to this day, like you see it like – Draymond Green 
arrogant, whatever, but now he has a podcast. He's educational. He knows what he's talking about. But the media never saw that side of him until he really won and became like a first-team all-defense, whatever he is, accolades. My, that's my point. That's who I think of. It's like somebody like that. They have him labeled something that he's completely not because he hasn't proven it. And then he proves yeah. it. Oh, he's, he's a very smart guy. So <laughs> that line holds up to me in sports to this day. And then number one, Major League. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll be backtrack and say honorable mention is Major League too because that also has some funny lines. I think it gets – I think people hammer that it sucks too much because it actually is pretty freaking quotable. Like, it it's, really is. It's a, it's a better movie than people give it credit for. It, you know, it has the impossible task of following up Major League, which yeah. it was never going to live up to that hype. I mean – it. Major League Two, I, I made the rooster. It still cracks me up. I still quote that a lot. I, and I think it would have been Major League Two would have been better if, if Wesley Snipes stayed as Willie Mays Hayes and not Omar Epps. Then I think we have a completely different narrative universally of Major League Two. Yeah, see, I, I don't think that's as much of a problem. Like, I think Omar Epps did a fine job. I, I just did too. But just I think the one knock would be a different character. He plays a different character and now he's a power hitter, which obviously yeah. back then everybody is trying to do steroids. <laughs> Hindsight, like <laughs> 90s, they did steroids. And so leadoff guys are trying to be power hitters. But it would have been cool to see Wesley Snipes transform into a power hitter rather than a new character playing the same guy be a power hitter. The fun yeah. part of that is they filmed Major League Two in Camden Yards and the Orioles have one of the like greatest cases of here's how many steroids guys were doing in the nineties with Brady Anderson hitting 50 for the Orioles. And that's his career high. I think his second most homers in a season was in like 21. Hell you guys also in the two thousands, Brian Roberts had like 42 and he, yeah. <laughs> I think his high second highest was like 13. <laughs> so yeah, just to close it on this. Like there, there are two characters in the movie that every line they say is just pure gold. And it's Bob Euchre as Harry Doyle. And uh, I don't know the actor's name, but uh, everything Lou Brown says is gold. He's yeah. the greatest baseball manager, even better than, uh, than Tom Hanks in A League of Their Own. He is the best baseball manager in any movie ever. So next week we'll have a top five for everybody. We'll discuss it and uh, get back to it, get back to the drawing board. and then Yeah, we got to iron out what what the next top five will be yeah and i'm looking forward to it because i think it's great content and i'm sure people will like seeing what we have to say and disagreeing with what we have to say as my timer just came up on my uh screen there so that's it for me connor uh you have anything else good man all right well this wraps up episode five